I've had the privilege of going on many mission trips down into Mexico, mostly to the southern parts uh, with my good friend Pastor James and, and some different combination youth trips or whatever else. And, and so we'll just say about 10, 12 years ago down in southern Mexico, and to set the stage, we're at a, a hotel that's a lot nicer than probably what you should at, stay at at a mission trip, but the, it was the way the deal went, and, and, uh, and, and we were able to, to secure lodging there. And so palm trees are around this pool in the back and kind of a big kidney-shaped pool, and, and uh, it was in the cooler part of the evening. We had been going all day in ministry and, and projects and, and preaching the name of Jesus, and, and then here we are at this pool in the evening, and teenagers don't run out of energy. And so here I am, a young youth pastor, and I'm surrounded by mostly uh, young guys at this point. Had a few that I'd brought from, uh, with me from Trinity, and then we were there with Redeemers. And then the boys proceeded to take turns standing on the edge of the pool playing a game called Face your fears. Has anybody faced your fears on the edge of a swimming pool? You know what I'm talking about. I see a hand back there. Here's the game. I'll get out of the light just for a minute. You stand with your toes as far over where you can keep your balance on the edge. Suck in your chest and you try to look a little less chubby. Shouldn't have laughed that much. Thank you. And then you stretch your arms out as far as you can. And then you let yourself go. And whoever can keep their body the straightest and the stiffest, in other words, ending up in the most pain upon impact in the water, is basically the man. So there I was, sure to be impressing all of the young bucks. We'll get back to that later. New series today is called Face Your Fears. I'm excited about this because I believe that fear is one of the greatest enemies of us as God's people. And it keeps us locked up from each other. It keeps us locked up from his work. It keeps us locked up from even having a closer relationship with him. Fear is our enemy. And so our key verse for this series is 2 Timothy 1.7. Some of you can quote it probably from the New King James where it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We usually read from the New Living Translation here, and it goes like this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So we are told clearly throughout Scripture that fear is not from heaven. And yet it's something that keeps most of us trapped in, in some way or fashion. And so we're going to go through a few of these things that lock us up. We're going to go through the fear of rejection, the fear of failure, the fear of intimacy, and the fear of losing control. Any control freaks out there? I made fun of them for years until I realized I was one. And so, uh, yeah, um, most pastors are, and they're, they're way too crazy. But that's beside the point. We are starting with rejection today, and our verse today is in Proverbs 29, 25.
fearing people, Proverbs 29, 25, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. This is a big deal. And so there's a couple ways to look at this. There's two main rejection traps. We're going to talk through these. Overly starved and overly cautious. I'll give you two pictures of this to, to help you with this. Overly starved is the person that would be like a golden retriever that acts like you have neglected him for five days. And they just, give me love right now, right? And I'm going to follow you and pant until you do, okay? And then the overly cautious, the picture for us today is the porcupine that says, you can look, but you can't touch. And I would rather be left alone. Thank you very much. And some of you all bipolar, and you'll maybe be golden retriever one day and a porcupine the next, but that's just marriage. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, anyways, getting into trouble already. Rejection. This drives us to not do things and to do things every day and every hour of our day. We want the people around us to think well of us. It is a natural thing to want to be liked. And some of us, depending on your personality type, are more of a people pleaser than others. Pastors also, by the way, tend to be in the golden retriever category. Please like me, please like me. And so we'll do stupid things like tell jokes or, or make fun of our wives just to make you like us and then get in trouble later. It's really smart. Please like me. Please don't reject me, right? So let's talk about the first one, overly starved. I'll give you a picture, another picture of a youth event. At a camping uh, a concert camp out thing called Ichthus down in Kentucky. You take, youth, you take teenagers, and uh, so we would take about 30 of them because I've been insane for many years. And we would camp out for a few days, and we would listen to, to, to hip-hop and rock and roll and whatever and just have a ball for for a few days, and we would do that every March and June when they moved it. And I remember walking down the pathway and going over this little bridge to the main area, and I see this rather pathetic-looking young man, and he had a cardboard sign that just said, free hugs. Oh. And he was determined to hug every person that walked by. I said, no, thank you, because I'm not always very nice. Don't be surprised by that. Those of you that know me well know better. Free hugs. What's going on inside this young man? Now, he was hugging the young ladies a little longer, so he's not entirely stupid. But there's something there about somebody who is overly starved for acceptance. And in that moment, he is satisfied with the passing hug of a thousand strangers to meet that need. That's pretty extreme, but think of how many times we do this as people. Where we'll do something for an attaboy, or we make sure that somebody notices that we did something, or we, make, we actually tell somebody that we did the good thing for them. I, I did that. I, I did that for you. I did it. Like me, like me, like me, right? 
literally the king of this was a king, and his name was Saul. And I'm, I'm going to give you a little story from back in 1 Samuel. This was his downfall as a king. He got told by God through the prophet that he needed to go conquer a warring nation of Israel's called the Amalekites, and so he was sent to kill them, and he was literally sent to wipe out all of them. And it says that the prophet Samuel walked towards the camp, and he could hear the captives from the other country. And even most importantly, he could see that the king was still left alive of the enemy nation and all of their animals. God said to wipe it all out, and we can get into that on a different message, but when God is passing judgment on something, it is serious. And Samuel says something like this to Saul. He said, what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? As I hear, I hear things that I shouldn't hear right now. I see a king locked up that isn't supposed to be alive today. And so let's go to 1 Samuel. I just want to read 15, verse 24 to you. Listen to Saul's words. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people, and I did what they demanded. But now please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. This guy over and over again was living in fear of the people around him instead of the living God above him that made him king. And it would end up being his downfall. Free hugs. Approval addicts have two things. That, are, that stick out. They have an inability to confront and they give in to everything, but they are inwardly resentful and angry about it. So let's talk through those things. And if I'm reading your mail today, I'm sorry, or, or if this is about your next door neighbor, maybe a little bit more than you, don't poke them. Let the Holy Spirit do this. And so we need to see our souls as God sees us and he doesn't want to see us trapped by these things. So approval addicts have an inability to confront what they see in other people. Because the fear is, well, this can be as simple, well, if I tell them I'd rather eat at a different restaurant, then they're just going to think, they're just not going to want to be with me right now. If I tell them that they look kind of dumb, then, you know, they're going to they're gonna be mad at me. But then this thing gets serious when we are afraid to speak truth into somebody's life who is struggling with something. And we, we keep the truth within us. And oftentimes, we don't share our faith with these people or other people. Well, I, I don't want them to think this of me. I don't want them to think I'm judgmental. I don't want them. I want to keep my place at the table. And some of y'all in this room, you haven't cared about that in a long time. And, and so maybe that's not your game. But this drives a lot of people. And so this fear holds you back and it holds back Christ inside of you because you are resisting what God wants to do out of fear for how somebody will take it. Approval addicts give in, but they are inwardly angry and resentful. Do you know how to say no? 
I tripped over this. I told you, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pleaser by nature. And coming into uh, youth ministry and being on staff full-time at a church, I have a knack for kind of, I like fiddling with just about everything. I like, I like working with wood. I like working with sound systems. I like, you know, and next thing you know, I'm finding myself involved with every little project that every other person cares about, all good things. But then what happens, right? You start burning out because you haven't figured out how to say no to some things. And it took me a while to, to, to learn that saying no is really saying yes to something else. And that I could easily meet with people every evening by saying yes to people, but I'd be saying no to my family. And so that's where the realization for me personally came in, is that every yes to one thing comes with a no to something else. And so it's a lie to yourself to think you can say yes to everything. Because every yes is saying a no to somebody else. And so along the way, I had to realize that if I want my family to feel as important as they should be in my life, then I've got to structure my week so that I'm not night after night away from my kids and my wife. Right? Because I've got a better yes to say to somebody else. Does that make sense? And so we can go through this. And so if you don't know how to say no to people, you'll just keep saying yes. But then this thing feels like this burden, and many of you know it, where you begin to resent all of the commitments that you have. And it, and it weighs you down because you're, you're doing it for the wrong reason sometimes. Overly starved, free hugs. The next one is overly cautious. This one's dangerous because this means you've been hurt too many times and now you're determined to not be hurt again. Do you all know somebody like that? And you try to come in close and you, you're like, what's going on? Is it me? Did I brush my teeth? Did I, you know, I, I think I'm being nice to this person. I've got no history of, of bad, you know, of trouble with this person. But what you'll find below the surface is that they've been hurt and hurt and hurt. And so now this is what they do. Just like a good Buckeye quarterback running for another first down, you stiff arm them. Sorry, I got to slip that in somewhere. Overly cautious. Proverbs 28, 14 says this. Is it okay to talk about something practical in church today? Proverbs 28, 14 says this. Blessed are those who fear to do wrong, but the stubborn are headed for serious trouble. When we're resistant to people, we usually end up being resistant to what God wants to do too. Because part of that fear of failure and fear of rejection, it, it it carries upward too. When you're dysfunctional in relationships around you, you, you really can never have a healthy relationship with Father God above you either. There's something broken in your ability to connect and to trust. And so that inability to trust people, to be able to trust them again is going to come through being able to trust God. Because it's, that's the only way you can really open up your heart to the people around you because we will fail each other, right? Nod your head. Yes. We will fail each other. 
God never will. And so it's, it's our life being based in him that allows us to open up our hearts to the potential of being hurt by others. And so, uh, so somebody who grew up maybe in a, a home with divorce or maybe multiple divorces or abuse from, uh, on the parents, what's the incentive for that young person to get married? A lot of them don't want it. Well, it, it, I'm just going to avoid that because it doesn't seem to work out very well, and I'd rather just protect myself from getting hurt. And so what happens when you protect yourself like that you end up denying yourself the opportunity of enjoying God's best for your life because there's nothing more intimate than a husband and a wife inside the covenant of marriage. And so you end up settling for less. Why? Fear. And so God's all about, he doesn't want people just running head, you know, headlong into just foolishness and not putting any thought into it. But he's about you looking to him and when you know his will moving forward in it. And when that's the person God has for you, he says, go for it. It's going to be it's going to be because of a three stranded cord. You're going to make it anyways. So base it in me and move forward. And, and that fear keeps us locked up. John 12, 42 through 43 says this. You guys are quiet today. Freaking me out. Many people did believe in him, talking about Jesus, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. Listen to verse 43. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. We're still very fortunate that in this country and in this day that belonging here and being here will not get you removed from any other social places in your life. Now, once people know you're a do-gooder or a churchgoer, you might get excluded from some conversations. You're probably better off missing anyways. And actually, you could end up finding out that some people went to something after work and you weren't invited or you weren't invited to some different situations. Has that happened? Sure. They know, or they're assuming, based on, on, on one part of your life, that you don't fit into someplace else. And we just did that whole series called Alienation, and that's a part of it. And Jesus said we can be anywhere, but some places aren't smart for us to be unless he's assigned for you. I know of pastors and missionaries that have gone into the deepest and darkest places from Amsterdam to the middle of Africa to wherever else you better be called to go into those places, okay? And then his covering, his grace will go with you there. But this loving the praise of men more than the praise of God. Wow. I can just see at different times in my life. Y'all experienced peer pressure, didn't you? It's good stuff. Watch my kids go through those teenage years, and, and, and it's like, oh, man, it's their turn. So how many things 
good and illegal have you done to impress the person next to you? Not today, but at that moment. Hopefully the person next to you today is a better influence than that. How many things have you done from being an idiot standing on the edge of a pool to, well, I don't even want to tell you all the stupid things I've done. What percentage of those were done because of somebody or the people around you? We're somewhere in the 90s, right? Are we about 99.9% of those things were done because of the person or people around us at that moment? Absolutely. But then get this. I'll just throw this in here. And this is why it's so important to make church a part of your life. And, and I was fortunate enough to grow up in a youth group that had a, a bunch of other kids older than me and, and my age that loved the Lord because that same thing can bring life to somebody. And so when you see 50 other teenagers with their hands raised and worshiping, oh, I didn't know I could do this. Because we're looking, for the, we're looking to the people around us for, for what's normal, and we're also looking for what's permission. For permission, we're looking for what's acceptable. We're looking for what is acknowledged and honored. And so sometimes we got to make sure we're putting ourselves in those situations where we got people pushing us for God's glory. How do we overcome the fear of rejection? How do we overcome the fear of rejection? Read you a scripture. Matthew 6, 33. This is a, another one that some of you probably have memorized. It starts with something like, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things. Somebody knows it out there. I appreciate that. Matthew 6, 33 says this. I'll read it to you. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seems like contentment has been a theme in, in the last few months teaching, and, and it's because when we trust God to meet our needs, when he becomes our identity, it sets us free from having to look to other people to find it. Does that make sense? And so all of the things we want, we want to belong, we want to be a part of community. These might be things you're avoiding now because of past pain, but you were actually designed for it. You were designed to be in community. You were designed to be in relationships where true love, agape love, life-giving love, life-sacrificing love is exchanged between people. And so you're supposed to, at some point in your life, have friends that you know would lay down their life for you, and they know that you would lay down your life for them. You're, you're supposed to have that. We were designed to be in a relationship with a, between a husband and a wife where we can give our lives to each other, where we can know where we stand and our identity isn't based on the other person where a couple is enmeshed and they don't know how to go to the bathroom without each other, but where you have people that can function because they're two individuals with their own relationship with Jesus Christ. They each lean on him for their identity, and then they combine 
and, and lean their strengths and weaknesses on each other to become a formidable force. Does that sound good? But that all begins, and so the people that try to figure that out after they're married really run into a lot of trouble because they were never satisfied or they're never completely content with who they were in the first place. And so if you're looking to another person, even if they love you, for your identity, you're going to be in big trouble. And, and you're going to want all these things. And so this verse covers so many things because it says, if you will seek God first, He will add everything that you need to your life. And I've found that to be true. As when I would try to grab things for myself, I would make a mess of it. When I would lean in and follow him and do what he asked me to do, I have found myself surrounded by people that care for me that I haven't had to impress to earn their devotion. Because what happens when people really know you? They're not impressed by you anymore because they know all of your things, you know? And so you need people like that. I've got people close enough to me that they are not impressed with me. And that is, they're my favorite people because I don't have to try to impress them, right? So listen to this. Say yes to pleasing God. How to overcome the fear of rejection. Number one is say yes to pleasing God. All of us are wired to want the people around us to like us. And our default way of doing that is just to make them happy. That's what we know. That's our human nature. If, if somebody uh, is hungry, I will try to make them a nice meal. And you're going to like me because I'm a decent cook. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet that need. They're going to like me. If somebody is wanting to yell and scream at a TV for a, for a football game, I can jump in and yell and scream with the best of them. And we'll have a good old time. Right? And so our default is to meet the needs of the people around us so that we can have this easy relationship, right? The way to break that, God doesn't want us to ignore the people in, a, in our life. No, no, no. He wants us to be in those relationships. But what he wants is for us to say yes to him first. And when you live your life that way, not only is your confidence and your security and your identity locked in, you don't need that affirmation from the people around you. And we all know what it's like when somebody is really needy of our affirmation. It's exhausting, right? I can fall into that category. That's like I said, that's, I'm throwing myself under the bus here trying to establish some common ground so that you'll like me. But we're not supposed to ignore those people. But when I take the pressure off of you to validate me, isn't that a much nicer situation to hang out in? then all of a sudden you're able to talk about what's going on in your life because you don't just have to highlight the things that are going on in mine. We've all been around that, we've all been in that conversation where 
you're not going to ever talk about you. Right? Is that fun? Well, no, especially when it's all bad news. Those, those people are the best. You know, it's like you're going to move from their whatever to their whatever to their whatever, and, and it's, it's, it's simply exhausting. But when you don't have to have that itch scratch from somebody and you can just be in the room with them, then all of a sudden you're available to them without having a, a price to be paid first. And I've, I've had friends like this. I've, you, you put them in the bigger, better deal category. They're, they're, you're good, but if they can find something better, they're going to move on. That's always a good time. Say yes to pleasing God. And we, we, we had a moment like that this morning in worship. And, and like I said, that's, it was a teaching moment because that's what it's for. That portion of the service is really, it's supposed to be about us lifting up Jesus. And so we try to be careful even with the songs. So many songs we sing have great lyrics, but I never want to be heavy on the ones that are just about us. It's great to sing with, about things that, uh, about how we feel and our feelings and about how what God has done for us, that's great. But that opening song, oh my goodness, it's just about how great God is. And it's actually the best thing we can do for our soul is to lift him up because it puts everything into perspective. We think the best thing to do is to talk about us because that, we think that makes us feel better. The best way you can feel is to know that you belong to the king. And when you remember how big he is, how good he is, and how full of grace he is, and then it's not about you, it's about how big and how good he is. And then you're just like, I'm good. And so those moments come in worship, and, and if you begin to feel that emotionally at all, that's the Holy Spirit basically flipping that switch on inside of you. And my encouragement to you is to push into those moments because that's where you access how heaven feels about you and, and that power that is in a room of people praising God. Amen? So say yes to pleasing God. So what do you think number two is? There's only two today. Say yes to pleasing God. Somebody take a great educated guess. Say no to pleasing people. I want to read you from Galatians 1.10. Paul's the coolest. And you know why? Aren't the coolest people the ones that don't care whether you think they're cool or not? Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. His writing has such a way of just cutting to the core. If I really cared about pleasing people, I couldn't and wouldn't choose to serve Christ. Because the reality is you can't. 
if you stay more concerned about the praise of people, you will be stunted at best and you are likely to go nowhere or even backwards in your faith. That's scary, right? That's scary. Now, a lot of the things we do for the Lord are things that people, you know, can get behind and get excited about. If, you, if we collect a bunch of shoeboxes like we're going to and send them around the world at Christmas time for kids that don't have anything like that, oh, bravo, right? But if it comes to taking a stand on holiness or, or a godly position on, on a uh, cultural issue, do it in love. But what happens when you do that? You know there's no applause, and you may lose your seat at the table. Right? Say no to pleasing people. Now, I found this out, that people, we tend to go extremes. When we get burned out, then all of a sudden we say no to everything, and we say no to everybody, and, and that makes you that porcupine or the stiff arm. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about knowing, no, I, I, I can't do that today. No, I'm not going to take a job that keeps me away from church on Sundays. No, I'm not going to let this drive my kids to do this. I mean, these are things. I'm not telling you this like it's, it's I'm like, this is Adam's take on things right now. But those are how I would drive decisions in my life is because I would lean into what God had for me and would trust me for things, or would, that I would trust him for things, and then that would set the course for my life. Does that make sense? So that TV show isn't good enough for me. That place isn't, isn't where I'm supposed to be. This relationship I've got to be careful with. It's toxic. I'm going to make sure that I'm there for them and that they know I'm praying for them and I love them, but I, I can't give my heart to them anymore. These are the moments where you are trusting God and you're saying no. You're, you're saying yes to God and you're saying no to people. And as I said before, how many decisions, how many decisions would you have made differently if it was more important to impress God than the person or people around you at the moment? How much heartache, how much less heartache would you have had? This isn't about regrets. God has grace to forgive every past that's in this place. Let me just, let me stop right there for a minute. This isn't about making you feel bad. It isn't. But it's about seeing that there's a better way to live. It's about knowing that Jesus has enough grace to cover every past. There's no darkness that he can't light up. One of my favorite parts about that reckless love song. There's, there's no place that he can't brighten. But he would have us avoid the heartache. What do you want for your kids? How many times do you want their heart to be broken? Six to ten times? That sounds reasonable. Now, what does a parent really want for their kid? What do you really want for your kids? So 
So you influence them and how they would date and how they would pursue the opposite sex. And you would, what's your goal? Is it, is it to ruin their life? It's fun sometimes. Ha, 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 I have all the power. Of course not. It's because you love them. And so God is saying, have your identity in me. And those of you that have been hurt, that are stiff-arming the world today, he says, let me heal you. He needs you to be able to love again. Because that's how we share his love with others. If you're out at the world with a stiff arm, how on earth is anybody going to hear the love of Jesus through you? Impossible. But at the, at the other extreme, if you are the free hugs kid, I hope that kid turned out all right. I really do. <laughs> but if you're that person, does anybody really take you seriously? No, and why? Why? Because if you haven't found your identity, your security, your understanding of who you are in the King of Kings, why would anybody else trust him? The world is looking for answers to who they are, what they're here for, what their life's purpose is. And if you seem just as hungry, then you haven't found the answer. There's a great expression on, on what it means to share Jesus with somebody else. It's, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I'm not better than anybody else. I just found Jesus. I was hungry, and I found the bread of life. I was thirsty, and I found the, the water that never ends. And you can find him too. I want to read you a quote from a famous pastor. He served as a chaplain in the Senate, Lloyd Ogilvie. Listen to this. Secure in God's love, I will not surrender my self-worth to the opinions and judgment of others. Boom. That's a mic dropper right there. Secure in God's love, I will not surrender my self-worth to the opinions and judgments of others. Part two. When I am rejected... I will not retaliate. When I am hurt, I will allow God's love to heal me. And knowing the pain of rejection, part three, I will seek to love those who suffer from its anguish. That sounds like a guy that's figured some things out. Let's go through that real quick as we end today. First of all, our identity is in Christ. Secure in God's love, I will not surrender my self-worth to the opinions of others. My value is defined by God alone. Is that awesome? That's pretty cool. Number two, when I am rejected, not if I am rejected, when I am rejected, I will not retaliate. Oh, yes, I am. Because it's fun. And it feels a little bit better for the moment, right? But not only will I not retaliate, because that's not really what's going to make me feel better, 
I'm going to, when I'm hurt, allow God's love to heal me. And then the third, the most important thing I believe that we can, Christians should be there. If you have found the love of Jesus Christ as your Savior, you should be there. That means that you know that God loves you and you know where to go when you're hurt instead of hurting more people. That's what our news is filled of, is hurt people hurting other people, right? So a Christian finds, finds God's love, and then that's where we turn to when we are rejected and when we are hurt. When, not if. But here's where the church can make a difference. And that's because if we know the pain of rejection, who knows the pain of rejection in this room? Okay, like I said, I'm going to do a series on lying if you guys don't pay attention. Who knows the pain of rejection? I know it's every hand and every heart in this place. Knowing the pain of rejection, I will seek to love those who suffer from its anguish. Do you have somebody in your life or some people in your life today that are suffering from rejection? These people can be very difficult because they can be sometimes at both extremes. They can be stiff arms or they can be free hugs. Both are annoying. Can I be honest? Is that okay? Aren't those people challenging? Yes, thank you. They are. What do they need? They need to know that God loves them. How are they going to know that God loves them if you won't tell them? Right? Back to Mexico. I'm on the edge of the pool. All right, let's just take a poll. Who thinks I stayed the straightest I possibly could in this room? And you're not doing this to impress me. Like, this is your real answer. Who thinks that I stayed stiff as a board, rock solid? That's because y'all know me. Who thinks... that the water got the best of me and I curved a little bit. Y'all, I stayed stiff as a board. It hurt so bad. My face hurt for two days. I did. Oh, and I did it multiple times that week. Why... Did I do it, though? Little stupid. What did I want? Yeah, I hear a few. Yeah, approval from high school boys. Thanks for bringing it way down to earth. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. We've got to check our reasons for doing things. It was fun. It was stupid. But yes, there was a part of me that wanted to do it the best out of anybody there. And I did. At a cost to myself. 
but also to impress high school boys. Now, they remember it to this day, and it's kind of cool, the ones that were there. But as we're closing today, who are you living for? I've been in, I've had lots of jobs outside the church, and even in the church, you can, you can get really stuck on the approval of people. But I've been very frustrated at times at different workplaces because I felt like I wasn't getting noticed, or I felt like somebody who didn't work as hard was promoted ahead of me. Um... The workplace can be a very frustrating thing if you're there just for the approval of other people. Let's take it home. If I'm not confident in God's love for me and that I base my value on the affection of my wife and children, then that means my value is going to go up and down like, a, like the stock market. If I base my value on how many people commented on my posts this week or my pictures on Instagram or whatever, see, God says your value doesn't do this based on the opinions of the people around you. When you make a mistake, it doesn't dip when you make a wrong turn doesn't dip if you forget to read your Bible but then guess what it also doesn't go up when you lead somebody else to the Lord it doesn't go up if you go on a short-term mission trip it doesn't go up if you go to Bible school and become a pastor God says I loved you so much that you are worth putting my sin onto my perfect son. God set your price, your value, right here. And it's locked. So do you think that your life would be better off if you lived for an audience of one? The King of Kings the creator, the lover of your soul. The one who can forgive you and heal you and lead you to, into his purposes and plans for your life. Or do you want to let it fluctuate with the market around you? Let's bow our heads in prayer. This is something we all deal with. This is a human problem.
And the only way out is to make daily choices of saying yes to God and no to people. And I don't mean telling your boss no or telling your wife or your husband no. But I'm talking about where you're basing your approval and your success on how other people feel about you. Would you choose to live for an audience of one? Would you raise your hand this morning? I want to pray with you. I see those hands. It's what we were made for. Father God, I lift my brothers and sisters up to you this morning. Father God, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. Forever taking another man's yes over yours. Forever taking another person's no over yours. God, you love us so much that you've, your word says you've given us the down payment of your Holy Spirit so that we might become sons and daughters, God. That we would know what your yeses and your noes are. And God, that we would follow those regardless of the opinion of others around us. And God, when we will do that, when we will do that, your word actually says then we're protected. And another word for that says that we will actually be raised up by you, Father. The value that we're looking for, the meaning that we're looking for, the purpose that we're looking for is never going to be found in the opinions of people. It's going to be found living for an audience of one. Thank you, Jesus. Bless my brothers and sisters with the strength to live this out. If you've never said yes to Jesus, to forgiving your sins, and said yes to following Jesus for your life, and today's your day, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. It's the moment of salvation. It's the moment of the light coming on in your soul. If that's you this morning, I want to pray with you. Anybody? then can we stand and close and worship this morning and celebrate that God wants us to be set free and to live for Him and for Him alone. Amen.